heard of a couple who had invited their pastor and wife to supper one evening, and she said her best china and all of her silverware, and they had a wonderful night together, but when the pastor and his wife were gone and she was tidying up the table, she noticed that the silver spoon from the pastor's place setting was missing. She looked everywhere, she couldn't find it, she couldn't think of anywhere else it could be, and she wondered, could it be possible that the pastor stole my silver spoon? <laughs> and this bothered her for a long time. She never broached the subject, but it was about a year before she had the pastor and his spouse back over for supper. And uh, when they came, when they came uh, again, they had a wonderful evening, but just as they were beginning, she said, Pastor, she said, this might sound like a strange question, but last time you were here, one of my silver spoons went missing. Would you have any idea what might have happened to it? And he said, well, yes, in fact, I do. I actually took it, and I placed it inside your Bible. <laughs> Let that sink in. <laughs> this morning I want to talk to us on the subject of hunger. I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago, a wonderful conference out in Edmonton, and when I was in the airport waiting for the flight, I was just kind of meditating on what I should be speaking on this Sunday, and, and I had a topic in mind, it was this topic, and I just happened to look up and across from it was a cafe, and they had a, some wallpaper with all these different uh, people from the past and all these different sayings and whatever it might be. And, and this one particular one caught my eye. It's a Japanese proverb, and it says this, happiness rarely keeps company with an empty stomach. Happiness rarely keeps company with an empty stomach. And I kind of took that as a sign, <laughs> as a confirmation. Because one of the greatest challenges I think we have as followers of Christ, people who profess to be the sons and daughters of God, walking with God, one of the greatest challenges we have is how to be satisfied, how to be full, and at the same time stay hungry. Do you hear me? How to be satisfied to enjoy the abundance of what God has given us in so many different levels and at the same time stay hungry. Dallas Willard is an author who said, Few people arise in the morning as hungry for God as for cornflakes or toast and eggs. Mark Batterson wrote, If you aren't hungry for God, then you're probably full of yourself. <laughs> Hunger is a sign of health. If you lose your appetite, if you're not hungry for a long period of time, then you have reason to be concerned. If your children feel that way, then you assume that maybe they're sick or they have a temperature. And the same is true of us spiritually. And so for those of us who live in the Western world, those of us who live in an age of plenty, it really is important for us to learn how we can stay hungry. Hunger ultimately is a, uh, a sign of humility. Humility is an attitude of heart that says, I, I, I'm just, I'm dependent on God. I, I, I need more of Him. I, I have things, I have provisions that are given to me, but I am not self-sufficient. I am in need. And I believe one of the real keys to maturity in the Christian faith, one of the real keys to, to a fruitfulness in our lives is that we have this sustained hunger, that we're never satisfied and complacent. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, How enriched you are, crave righteousness, for you will be surrounded with fruitfulness. Now, in the natural, you get hungry when you don't eat. 
But one of the things you discover in the spiritual walk is you actually get hungry the more you eat. It is eating of the things of God that actually create and sustain this appetite for you. As you recognize an area in your life where maybe there's lack or there's not growth or fulfillment, you, you begin to hunger and you begin to maybe look around and you hear somebody's testimony or you, you know, watch something on YouTube or you read a scripture or you hear a message, whatever, and this hunger begins to be created in you because you've just fed on a work of God in somebody's life or in some other setting. Moses said to his people in Deuteronomy 8, he said, God humbled you. Why? Causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word man is an interesting word. It simply means what is it? Kind of a crazy name, eh? They're wandering in the wilderness. They have no food. God gives this miraculous provision. Every morning that they wake up, there's this manna on the ground, this kind of like heavenly bread that's on the ground. They can go and collect enough for the day. So for 40 years, God is feeding his people on what is it? And why is he feeding them on what is it? It's so that they might come to understand that they cannot live on what is it alone. They have to live on the words that come from the mouth of God. Let me put it this way. As we walk with God, we know he's in our life. We read his word. We worship him. But so oftentimes, life can be a mystery. There can be things about our lives that we don't understand. There can be things that happen or blindside us or, or questions that we have that cause us to ask, Lord, what is it? And we want answers. We want the Lord to give us an answer. We want the Lord to meet us right there. We want the Lord to solve the problem. And oftentimes the Lord says, I'm not telling you. But the reason he's not telling us is not because he does not love us or want to provide an answer for us. There's a special reason, I believe. It's because as we walk through life, the Lord knows that if he just gave us the answer right away, what would we do? If he just made the provision available right away, what would we do? We'd say, thank you, Lord. See you next time. Right? But when we come into situations, we say, Lord, what is it? What's going on? What do I need to learn here? What's happening here? The Lord takes time to talk to us. Why? Because he wants to dialogue with us. He wants to have a conversation with us. And so we, cross, we, come, we come across these times of, Lord, what is it? What's happening? And the Lord says, I'm not telling you yet. I'm not giving you the answer yet. I'm with you. I'm walking with you. But I want you to dialogue with me. I want us to walk through this so that you can learn new things about me and you can even learn some new things about yourself. So what's the Lord saying? He says, you've got to understand that your sustenance in life is not upon getting all your, all your questions answered. It's not upon the what is it. It's not upon just your felt needs. That's not what I've created you for. What I've created you for, the essence of life, is that you know me. And that you learn to walk according to every word that comes out of my mouth as we walk in relationship one with another. Do you understand me this morning? So the Lord says, hey, you may not get the answer you're looking for right now, but I'll give you the answer that you need when the time comes. Because it's about relationship. That is what the Lord is after with us, all of us. Isaiah 29, 8, there's an interesting verse that just says this. A hungry man who dreams... He is eating. A hungry man who dreams he is eating. 
Hunger has a way of causing us to dream, doesn't it? To kind of step outside of where we are and to think about things, long for things that we don't have right now. The moment you stop hungering is the moment you settle, right? If you stop hungering in your relationship with the Lord, who gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by, brings us from deep unto deep, if we stop hungering, we plateau and we become religious. If we stop hungering for things in our marriage relationship, whatever it may be, then we will plateau, we will settle. There's a need to hunger, a need to hunger that brings about dreams. That's why, for example, in the Old Covenant, that God did not treat a person who stole for food, who was hungry, as somebody who just stole out of, you know, lust or out of uh, covetousness, one is something that somebody else had. There was a different rule. He still had to repay what he took, but the punishment wasn't severe like the person who actually stole from somebody else because God recognizes that hunger actually causes most people to do things they normally would not do. And the same is true spiritually with spiritual hunger. In fact, what you've probably discovered is that if you have had everything handed to you, you're probably not really ambitious in life. And in the same way spiritually, if your idea of walking with Christ, if your idea of, of, of being a Christian in this day is attending church or attending the odd ministry and maybe week after week, you know, uh, being spoon-fed or, or, you know, you take care of my kids, you raise them, you know, teach them about the Lord, whatever the case may be, if that's been kind of your posture down through the years, then you probably have not experienced all that God has for you. You're probably not tracking along that line of what the Lord wants to bring you into deeper things. That only comes with hunger. And if I don't have hunger, what am I going to do spiritually? I'm just going to be living off yesterday's blessing, right? I'm going to be talking about stories from the old days or things that God used to do, whatever the case may be. But there's not a present work of God in my life today. And in fact, if there's not a hunger in my life, I'm not really going to be a transformational presence in my home, in my workplace, in my city. I can be a Christian, I can go about living my life and not do bad things or whatever the case may be, but if I really want to be a presence for God where I am, then where nobody sees me, there has to be a hunger in my heart, in my walk with the Lord. Smith Wigglesworth was a British evangelist and just an incredible worker of miracles, a man of faith back in the 20th century, early 1900s. He said this, he said, the secret to spiritual success is a hunger that persists, that persists. Here was a man who literally raised the dead, saw every sickness healed, demons cast out, day after day after day led people to Christ. This is the man who says that we must have a hunger that persists. It is an awful condition to be satisfied with one's spiritual attainments. God was and is looking for hungry, thirsty people. There's an author by the name of Diana Chapman. She wrote a book entitled Britain's Spiritual Inheritance, and is full of testimonies of men and women of God who saw God move mightily, do incredible things in the United Kingdom back in their day. And the premise of this book is that the story she says, these stories, she's speaking to a British audience, but it speaks to us too, she says these stories of these men and women of God are not just stories, they're our inheritance. Amen. Our inheritance. And when we hear great testimonies of things that God has done in days gone by, we need to remember we serve the same God. He hasn't changed, but something has changed in His church. Something has changed among His people. And we need to realize that this is our inheritance as well, and it's time to take back what the enemy has stolen. 
And so the purpose of the stories is not just to kind of reminisce through history, it's to make us hungry. Let me read you a few excerpts. This is Smith Wigglesworth, the one I mentioned. He's talking about how he'd heard about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. He'd been moving in mighty power, but had not been baptized with the Holy Spirit, according to the book of Acts. He said this, I came to Sunderland, a community, with a holy breathing cry after this clear manifestation of tongues. About 11 a.m. Tuesday morning at All Saints Vicarage, I asked a sister to help me to the witness of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. She laid hands on me in the presence of her brother. The fire fell and burned in me until the Holy Spirit revealed absolute purity before God. A marvelous revelation took place. My body became full of light and holy presence. Step one. And in the revelation I saw an empty cross and at the same time the Jesus I loved and adored crowned in the glory of a reigning position. The glorious remembrance of these moments is beyond my expression to give. When I could not find words to express, then an irresistible power filled me and moved my being till I found to my glorious astonishment that I was speaking in other tongues clearly. So there was presence, there was power, and then he says this, after this, a burning love for everybody filled my heart. Isn't that Acts 1 and 8? You will receive power when his presence comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. That's exactly what he experienced. William Booth, we know very well, a Methodist preacher in the late 1800s, early 1900s, founder of the Salvation Army, he said this, There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of all Jesus could do with them, on that day I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there is anything of the power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has had all of the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. Evan Roberts was a leader in the Welsh Revival. He lived and ministered in the late 1800s, early to mid-1900s. The revival itself took place in 1904, 1905, and Evan wrote this. He said, after praying for 11 years, I was taken up into a great expanse without time, without space. It was communion with God. I found myself with unspeakable joy and awe in the very presence of the Almighty God. I was privileged to speak face to face with Him as a man speaks face to face with a friend. Before this, a far off God I had. I was frightened that night, but never since. So great was my shivering that I rocked the bed and my brother being awakened took hold of me thinking I was ill. After that experience, I wakened every night a little after one. What it was, I cannot tell you, except that it was divine. I felt that it seemed to change all my nature and I saw things in a different light. And I knew that God was going to work in the land, and not only this, but in all the world. And then finally, George Jeffries, a Welsh evangelist in the mid to late 1900s, 1962, he passed away. He said, we were kneeling in prayer one Sunday morning interceding. It was exactly nine o'clock when the power of God came upon me. I received such an inflow of divine life that I can only liken it to the experience of being charged with electricity. It seemed as if my head were connected to a powerful electric battery. My whole body from head to foot was quickened by the Spirit of God, and I was healed. It was the same George Jeffries that one day a young man, while he was on his deathbed, a young man by the name of Reinhard Bonnke, a German evangelist, would go in to visit him. And Jeffries laid his hands upon Bonnke and imparted to him an anointing that is still flowing today as God 
uses Reinhard Bonnke to impact nations and to literally lead millions to Christ around the world. Still happening today. You see, when I read those testimonies, what happens? I get hungry. I get hungry. That's what happens. You, you get hungry by eating. And friends, some of us here this morning, all we need to do, we just need to sit down at the table again, and we need to begin to eat the things of God. We just need to come into the presence of God. You may feel empty. You may feel dry. You may say, Pastor, I've been this way for 40 years. What's going to change? What's going to change is that you begin to put your thoughts toward the Lord. You take time to be alone with Him. And you say, Lord, I'm hungry. And if you're not hungry, say, Holy Spirit, make me hungry. And if you've not been hungry for a long time, you come to the Lord and say, Lord, I hunger for what I knew in the past. And I want something fresh. And I want something new from you. I want you to infill and infuse my heart. I want a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. I want you to have all of me, all of me, as, as Booth said, all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will. Lord, I want you to have all of me. It's what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is a wealth in the kingdom of God that's available for every single person who recognizes their spiritual poverty. All poverty of spirit is, is just a dependence on God. It's a trust in Him. It's an acknowledgement every single moment of the day that you're aware of His presence and you lean into Him and you say, Lord, this is the day that you have made. What do you have in store today? What would you do today? How would you use me today? Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done here where I am, wherever I go. It's trusting and depending on the Lord. King David was a man who learned something that we all need to learn. He learned what it was to be full and yet remain hungry. David was a man who knew what it was to enjoy the abundance of God and yet still stay hungry for God. And there's a difference. You read through the Psalms, what does David say over and over again? Lord, I need you. Lord, I hunger for you. I thirst for you. I long for you. I am in need. You know, there's a lot of debate in the body of Christ today because we live in, in an age of such opulence and such comfort and ease. There's a lot of debate between prosperity versus materialism. You know, like how much is too much? You know, is that the blessing of God or is that just greed or whatever the case may be? But I'll tell you this, how much is too much? For you, it might be a million bucks. For somebody else, it might be a hundred bucks. It's not about the amount. You ask the question, how much is too much? However much it takes to keep you from being dependent on the Lord. That's all it is. You can be a billionaire and walk with God and be dependent on him. You can have a hundred bucks in your pocket and every time you get a cent, you blow it on yourself. You see, it's just, it's just an attitude of heart. It's where we are. It's not about what we have. David was surrounded by so much wealth. And I say this respectfully. David could almost answer his own prayers. I mean, he had so much money. He had power as the king in a wealthy, prosperous nation. David could almost literally meet his own needs. Now, we know he really couldn't. But he could as long as he lived on a certain dimension. That's as far as you want to go. But why is that? It's because as a child, as a teenager, as a young man, what did David do? David was out in the backfields with the sheep, tending his father's sheep in a, day, in a day when he had nothing. No wealth, no prominence, nothing. And what did he do in those backfields as he tended the sheep? He fell in love with God. 
He worshipped God. He wrote songs to God. He meditated on God's word. He devoured God's word into his heart. He would recite God's word. He was a worshiper. And that's why God could look at him and say, I've got my king. I've got my next king. And you see, when David rose to a place of prominence and of power, he never forgot that there is life in God. There is a dimension of life in God that money can't buy, that wealth itself cannot compare to. And God knew that he would be able to keep David's heart through all those things. You'll notice, for example, Saul. What happened to Saul is the exact opposite. Saul was a, a handsome man, a leader above everybody. And in fact, when they said, okay, make Saul your king, everybody in the nation, yeah, he seems like the obvious choice. But Saul didn't have what David had. Saul didn't have that history with God. Saul didn't know God. So what happened? When the pressure came, when the power came, when the wealth came, Saul lost it all. He became corrupt. He became you know, self-seeking. He relied on those things, and he did not have a heart for God. And God could not use him. What a contrast. But what an example David is. I saw somebody post a number of months ago on Facebook a little caption that says that David was raised a shepherd, but he was born a king. He was raised a shepherd, but he was born a king. You see, we can walk with God. We can be good Christians. We can do what Christians are supposed to do. But what's the problem with that? We will stay shepherds. It's when you have a relationship with your God that you begin to realize the revelation of the destiny he's placed within you, that your spirit longs for more. And that's why if we have a nominal Christian faith, we truly aren't satisfied. Why? Because there's something within us, our spirit, that says, no, I'm made for more than this. I was made to know God. I was made to walk with him, to know his presence. I was made to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I was made to be a witness, as we sang earlier. I was meant to have a testimony. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Friends, our city needs to hear more testimonies. They need to hear people through our city who are saying, hey, when they say, how was your weekend? And you know, they probably got wasted. You can say, oh, man, you won't believe it. We saw people healed. We saw this. We saw that. We, you know, that's our testimony. And people start getting thirsty. What's going on? I thought you guys just sang hymns. Nothing against hymns. We sang country this morning. Hey, we're, we're progressing. We have a testimony to give. Hunger is what will cause you to move outside of what seems safe. I really believe we're at a season here at Glad Tidings in which God wants to bring us into a new place of experience and also a new place of Holy Spirit ministry. And that for, for that to happen, he's stirring within us a hunger. Anybody feel that? Amen. It's a good time to raise your hand, even if you don't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm spiritual, too. He is. There's a hunger in our heart for more. And it's not just us, friends. It's churches across our city and around the world because we're in the last days and God is doing some stuff. If you want to get on board, you can. But you've got to be hungry. The Bible says in Luke 1, the Lord has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Does that mean that God is displeased with the rich? Not at all. Nothing to do with your bank balance or all that kind of stuff, what car you drive, whatever the case may be. It's not about that. What he has displeasure in is the people he has blessed who become dissatisfied and are no longer hungry. No longer hunger for him. In fact, the, the blessing has really caused them to turn away from him. So what does the Lord do? Psalm 107. Verse 3 says, He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground. What does the Lord do? He takes your blessed life 
represented by those rivers. And he makes it dry up. So you begin to feel your need for him again. You begin to return to him as the true source of your life. That's not the judgment of God. Don't misunderstand that. That's the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God. He will allow the areas that lead you away from him to dry up. Why? So you'll return to him. Verse 35 and 36, he goes on to promise this. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And what does he do? And there he lets the hungry dwell. And they establish a city to live in. Friends, the one thing that will establish your life in every practical area of life and relationships and your relationship with God, the one thing that will establish you is when you make a determination that I will stay hungry for God in an age of plenty. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. Like Paul said, but Lord, whether you bless me or not in that way, whether I'm rich, whether I'm poor, it's all the same because it's about you. It's about you. This doesn't determine what I think about you because I know you. And so I know you that whatever I'm in, Lord, you have a purpose. There's something that you're doing because I have a relationship. As we read earlier in the testimonies of William Booth and Wheelsworth and the others, friends, we need to realize, he says here, they established a city to the righteous, the hungry, established a city to live in. Friends, the very destiny, oh God, help us get this. The very destiny of this city of Moncton is determined by the hunger of God's people. Do you hear me this morning? The very destiny of our city, the destiny of our neighborhoods, of our schools, whatever it is we may be complaining about in our culture today, the destiny of our culture, it's in our hands. It's in the hands of people of God who are hungry. God will give favor. God will give power and presence. God will give influence to his people if we are hungry. Now, you might be thinking, Paul, I, I want to be hungry. I'm not quite sure how to be, or I, or I just feel far away. I was reading my quiet times. I've been in the book of Acts and Romans and in Acts chapter 17. I was reading where Paul was in Athens in Greece. And he's in a location called the Oropagus. Oropagus simply means uh, hill of Eris, or hill in the Roman term of the god Mars. And it was a place where the men of the city, the intelligentsia, they would gather, and they would just debate philosophy all day, you know, just all day long, five or six days a week. That's all they do, just debate philosophy. And so Athens was not only the philosophical center of the Greco-Roman Empire back in that day or in Greece, it was also the religious center. And so in Athens, there were literally thousands of statues and monuments to all these different gods they believed in. In fact, history tells us that there were more statues in the city of Athens than the entire country of Greece. So Paul steps into this place surrounded by statues everywhere, and he noticed one statue that says, to the unknown God. And the reason they put that there, of course, because where there's so many deities, they're afraid in case we missed one, we don't want to offend any gods, so this one's to all the ones we might have missed. And so Paul uses it as a platform to speak to them, and he, he goes on and says to those who are gathered, he says, I have come to introduce to you this God whom you worship without knowing anything about him. So this God you don't know, I'm here to tell you, I know him. And I want to talk to you about him. Then he goes on to share how God has created mankind in such a way, he says in verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. 
yet he is actually not far from each one of us. And then he quotes actually one of their own Greek philosophers, his name was Epipenemes, and he said this in verse 28, in him we live and move and have our being. Paul's quoting their philosophers. In him, he's saying, you guys say it yourself. In the ultimate God, we live and move and have our being, for we are indeed his offspring. Now keep that in mind for a moment. Go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, says this, the first part of verse 3. Speaking of Jesus, the Son is the exact expression of God's true nature. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen God the Father. We are identically, identical. Then he says this, he holds, Jesus holds all things together by the mighty power of his spoken word. What's he saying? When Jesus created all that's created, you see, we understand that all that is natural, right, came out of the spirit realm. God who is spirit created all that we are and all that we see. So the natural realm came out of the spirit realm, meaning the spirit realm is far superior. So we have this natural physical realm that we live in, however you want to look at it. It's, it's just kind of plumped in the middle of the universe of, of space and the spirit realm. There is this realm in which we live. That came into existence by the power of Jesus' spoken word. He not only, when he spoke the word, his word, the scripture says, not only shaped everything that we see and everything that we are, his spoken word from thousands of years ago still sustains everything that's been created. Now, I'm not giving you a science lesson here. It is more theological, but let me explain what I mean. To me, that shows us how closely connected and how, how intimate Jesus is to every one of us. Not only does he know every detail of my life, he has every detail planned for my life. But I have to choose to know him. I have to choose to follow him. You see... The fact that Jesus spoke creation into being, it means as I stand here before you this morning, I'm not only what you see, but if you could actually see with spiritual eyes or maybe with electron microscope, whatever, if it were possible, you would see trillions and trillions and trillions of atoms. Do you hear me? Just buzzing. That's what I am. That's all I am. I mean, I'm a pretty good looking atom, but I'm a whole lot of atoms. Right? In fact, this might sound kind of crazy. We did this uh, science experiment back in grade 10, uh, I remember chemistry. But even this pulpit, as solid as it is, if I could align the atoms of my body perfectly with the atoms of this pulpit, I could easily pass through. That's all Jesus did when he walked into the upper room with the disciples that were gathered. He just walked through, hey guys, how you doing? Whoa! See, he could do that. And, and we need to understand that the word that Jesus spoke, the almighty, powerful word that spoke me into existence is the word that sustains me. And what that means is, is if Jesus ever withdrew that word that he spoke just once, thousands of years ago, what would happen? Everything in creation would evaporate. All those atoms would just scatter and evaporate. Do you follow me? The, the reason I'm, I'm saying that is because if we understand the scientific part of really what God has done in the natural order of things, then we understand how intimately connected Jesus is with his creation. He's not far away from us. He is not distant. We are here today. We are breathing. We are in one piece, literally, because he has spoken us into existence, and he's never withdrawn that word. Amen. The day is going to come when he's going to withdraw a word, a portion of it. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But for now, he keeps us all together. But here's the point. He will not force us to know him or follow him. 
But what he does is he guides the events of our lives in such a way to make us realize that we need him. That's because he loves us. Regardless of whether you know Jesus yet or not, he is not far away. Everything God does in our lives has one aim. It is to lead us into a personal relationship with him. In fact, he has created us with an inborn desire to know him. And so to have a relationship with Jesus, you don't have to look far, friends. All you need to do, as the scripture has said, is just feel your way toward him. You see, it's your heart that finds him. It's not religious things you do. It's just a heart. And as soon as your heart turns, he's there. As soon as your heart begins to turn toward him, James says that in chapter 4, move your heart closer and closer to God, and say the rest with me, and he will come even closer to you. You ever in a room talking and you're, you're looking for somebody, like say I'm looking for Vanessa, you know, we're in a room, gather, whatever, and I, I go, Vanessa, oh, you're right here. You ever have that happen? You're looking for somebody, to, oh, they're right there. That's all James is saying. You just begin to turn your heart toward God, you'll discover he's there. But you see, as long as your heart not turned toward him, you have no hunger for him, it's not that he's not there, it's just that you're not even thinking of him, so you don't even recognize that he's there. But he is there, as, as the writer says in Acts. He's close to you, and he moves closer to you. I'm going to invite the worship team to return. My prayer this morning is that the Lord would release a grace over every one of us in this room to begin to hunger for what we have never hungered for before. You know, I read some of those excerpts from the book on revival in the UK. And they say that in that day they had an expression. They say that when they sought God, that when the people gathered together and prayed, they were literally pulling on heaven. They were pulling down on heaven until that atmosphere permeated this atmosphere. And you know what happened as a result? Entire cities were overwhelmed by the presence of God. That's what happens when the people of God hunger for the Lord and for his presence. We talk about revival. Where does revival begin? Yeah, right here. Begins in me and then in the church. Revival doesn't happen in the city. Revival happens in the church. And then when the church is revived, when it comes alive to God, what happens in the city? There's a great awakening. There's an awakening to God because his presence is felt. His presence is felt wherever you go. Smith Wigglesworth, if you ever read his biography, has many occasions where he's sitting on a train, traveling somewhere, or walking down the street, whatever, and a person sitting across will say, who are you? I feel convicted. I feel I need to know God. What do I do to get saved? Literally. He's just sitting there reading his Bible, maybe, or just sleeping. It's because of the presence of the Lord in his people. I would encourage us next Sunday night to join together at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church for that prayer gathering next Sunday night, 6.30. Encourage you to jot it down. You see, hungry people pull on heaven. Why? Because we understand that God is ready to do something that we haven't seen before or we haven't seen for a long time. We're not arm wrestling God. 
We're just getting hungry for God and saying, Lord, I want to move into a position, into a posture where, Lord, you get me lined up and the next person lined up and the next person lined up. As you're moving in our hearts, we start responding. And together, collectively, we start pulling on heaven for your presence to come. That's our passion. And the Lord says, I get enough people. I get them coming together and the glory will fall. But it begins with hungry people. And you have to stay hungry. The greatest challenge... Staying hungry in an age of plenty. God has blessed us so much. We have so, so, so much. But you know what? The abundance itself, it won't change our city. It won't bring people to Christ. It won't heal broken bodies. It won't save marriages. It won't break addictions. All that kind of stuff. It's the presence of the Lord. And the Lord can give us the abundance. He can give us all the resources we need to touch our community in practical ways, to feed people, to clothe, to help like James says. That's all part of ministry as well. But the transformation takes place when the people of God themselves become a transformational influence. And we're only made a transformational influence to the degree that we hunger for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? I'd like to close with this song this morning. When you may be familiar with the words are simple. It's just simply, Lord, more of you. More of you. I've had it all. But what I need is just more of you. We're just going to sing that song this morning. If, you're, if you need to slip out, you're welcome to at any time. But I want to encourage you just to remain for a couple moments, if you would, and allow the Holy Spirit to seal in your heart what he's been speaking about you today, what he's been stirring in your heart. I pray he's been stirring a hunger in your heart. The altar is open. If you want to just come and find a place, you feel free to do that, to be alone with God and do business with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come, would you? If you have a need this morning, want someone to pray with you, then just come and stand in front of one of these folks, and they'll be glad to pray with you. Team, would you come right away, please? You just feel free to stand in front of them. They'll pray with you. But if you just want to be by yourself, you can just find a place at the altar or stand where you worship or just kneel where you are. I believe the Holy Spirit just wants to seal some of the things that we've been experiencing in His presence. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I encourage you this morning, don't leave this place without surrendering your heart to Him. He loves you. He's not far away. He's right here. In fact, as we've been worshiping the Lord, you may have discovered, oh, He's there. I sense Him. He's right there. I'm not asking to join a church. I'm inviting you, I'm inviting you to know God through his son, Jesus Christ. If you have a hunger in your heart, you say, I know there's more, I just don't know what to do. Come, and the Lord wants to satisfy that hunger and bring you into a relationship with him. Amen. Can we just worship the Lord as we just sing through this song once? And again, if you just slip out, feel free. We also want to encourage you just to spend some time with the Lord to make sure whatever the Lord wants to minister to you this morning, he seals it in your heart by the Holy Spirit before you leave. Amen. The Lord bless you. If you have a need, come. We'd love to minister to you.